0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father who has not hidden his face from the afflicted and from Jesus who is the Christ and from God the Holy Spirit who has poured out his love into our hearts through the gift of faith and the waters of baptism. What does it mean to take up your cross? To answer the question, I'd like to begin at the beginning, the beginning of the gospel reading Anyway. It at first appears to be a minimally important contextual beginning to our reading today, and yet it ends up quite profound in two ways. The Gospel begins with verse 27, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, it's the beginning of that verse that I actually think is one of the reasons and one of the explanations for what it means to take up the cross. Jesus had his disciples up in the very far north of Israel, a part that was even arguably considered beyond the confines of Israel. It was a place that was Gentile. It was a place that was even called after the Romans Caesarea Philippi. It was a place where they had for years and years worshipped the Greek god Pan, and so it was known as Pania. And before that, it was a stronghold for Baal worship. But probably more than anything, it was rural. It was obscure. These villages were really country, small assemblages of unwalled towns that had a few hundred people, just a few families. And you might Ask yourself, as the disciples I suspect did, why are we here? Of all the important places that Jesus could have gone, the countryside in the far north seemed like a very unimportant place to be. Well, the beginning of the answer is this we are here because we are with Jesus. And when you are with Jesus it's a sacred place. No matter how obscure, how remote, how small, how seemingly unimportant. If you walk with Jesus, it's a life-changing place to be. So Michael King was born January 15th in 1929. Five years later, his father, the Reverend Michael King, was sent by his congregation Ebenezer Baptist Church on a whirlwind tour of Europe, and it ended in Berlin. And Adolf Hitler was already in power at the time, and the signs of the Nazi power growing in their influence and also in their persecution... Marginalizing African Americans, uh, marginalizing Negroes, and marginalizing Jewish people was quite evident to the eyes of Michael King. As he traveled around Germany, he began to realize that there was an earlier time of oppression when people who apparently were unimportant and small were saying something that was life-changing. And he traveled to Wittenberg and he heard about this guy named Martin Luther who stood up against the powers that be to say there's a greater power and that power is seen in humility and on the cross. Apparently those travels and seeing that contrast profoundly influenced Michael King who returned to America and changed his name to Martin Luther King and then gave his son the same name, and so he would be known as Martin Luther King Jr. Powerful projects and people are often shaped actually in obscurity, where we can see the contrast between the big and the small, and those who hold power and wield power and influence power versus those who appear powerless. And that makes the contrast all the more potent and the inspiration for some all the more catalyzing. Shortly after the Gospel reading that was read from Mark 8 today, Jesus would be transfigured in Penea. And you would, as Luke describes the Transfiguration, see this light, this rather great light, but in the expanse of the night sky, which is apparently when it took place, it was a much smaller amount of square footage and area. But where does the eye focus with all that darkness? On the light. We are in a sea of darkness, and that's the reality Of the world from the fall on. Jesus, this humble homeless preacher, would reveal that he is far more powerful than it first appeared. And we are reminded that the scripture says God's power is perfected in weakness. So, the first lesson in what it means to take up the cross is that size is not necessarily significant. God does big things in small places, and God works powerfully in weakness. God does not make disciples by forcing them to comply, but transforms disciples because they see the weak Christ, the impaled Christ, the Lamb of God taking what was theirs, their sin. God transforms us through his sacrificial, self-giving love. And God uses, as Paul would say, the foolishness of the cross to shame the wisdom of the world. And it's apparent, impressive works. God's foolishness is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. And so we learn this first lesson of what it means to take up the cross, to be affiliated with weakness, the weakness of Christ. So this is where the second part of that opening verse becomes significant and Jesus' question becomes seminal, who do people say that I am? Already the common view held by the people was that Jesus was prominent. He was John the Baptist or Elijah one of the prophets, they were confused. And by the way, the people that were named, John the Baptist, where did he grow up? In the wilderness. And Elijah, he grew up in the huge metropolis of Tishbe. Everybody knows where Tishbe is, right? It's this obscure little village east of the Jordan River, not really part of the centralized promised land. God again raises up from obscurity important leaders. St. Peter had the right answer, at least verbally. You are the Christ. Got that right. But really, intellectually and spiritually and in faith, he had the wrong answer. Peter's view of the Christ, and even today, many people's view of God is grossly distorted. So the Greek scholar and commentator Dr. James Velts describes what the common first century view of Jesus was. So there is a, a document that was determined and, and discovered from the first century B.C. that described the Christ this way. See, Lord, and raise up for them their king, the son of David, to rule over your servant Israel undergird him with the strength to destroy the unrighteous rulers, to purge Jerusalem from the Gentiles who trample her to destruction. In wisdom and in righteousness, drive out the sinners from the inheritance, to smash the arrogance of sinners like a potsherd jar, to shatter all their substance with an iron rod, to destroy the unlawful nations with the word of your mouth. The common view of Jesus, at least if he is the Christ, was that you would come as a king and inflict punishment upon sinners and you would exercise your authority to the ends of the earth with a iron iron rod. That's the view that Peter was orienting himself from. This is the Christ he wanted. Show me your power. Now contrast what you just heard right in that first century B.C. document, the Psalms of Solomon, and what Peter was thinking. Surely, Jesus, you're not going to have that sort of weakness with these verses that are in our readings today. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Take up your cross and follow me means that we trust God to work indeed in small places to accomplish big things. And understand that if God allowed his son to endure the cross, certainly the sons of God, those who are faithful, sons and daughters of the king, will also be associated with the same sort of treatment, unjust suffering, maybe even death, while remaining quietly faithful in the midst of their persecution. To take up your cross means that we believe that denial of demonic selfishness, short-term inflated promises, which seems to be the orientation of Satan, and all the position, power, and profit pleasure that are promised in the moment are actually hollow and empty quests that will leave you depleted and longing for meaning. To take up your cross and follow Christ means to give strength to the weak. And it often means to give grace, forgiveness and mercy to the guilty. To take up your cross and follow Christ means that we believe that he is in fact the Christ, the anointed one. And his good news is revealed in the gospel that he died for us in our place so that we could have forgiveness and do a work that we could not do. It is to believe in grace. It is to believe in the words of Christ, not the words of the world that are often and usually distorted and demonic deceptions of one sort or another. So at this point, let me uh, illustrate with a dragon-speak faux pas, It's almost like God gives us these every week. Such a blessing. So I use the software application, Dragonspeak, which just takes what I says and misspells it. So at the beginning of your first paragraph in the bulletin, it says that transgressors uh, where he was crucified between them on the hillock called the Place of the Skull, spelled S-C-U-L-L well, you probably think I was talking about rowing because you can scull a boat. Actually, in this particular case, I could say I was talking about rowing, and I'll just promote our Latin devotions by saying if you read yesterday's Latin devotion on our website or in the hard copies, you will hear how, yes, in fact, when to be like Christ is to be like a sculler, Makes sense. You have to do the research to get the answer. What I was really meaning was the place of the skull, S-K-U-L-L, which means Golgotha. That's the place where Jesus was crucified between two criminals. If you read about the devotion, you'll find out the meaning for rowing and what that has to do with Christ. So Jesus tells us to take up Our cross. It is personal. If a person or a person seeks to take up his cross, it is his cross. It is indeed related to the cross. It's a chip off the old cross, you might say. It has to do with humility, it has to do with grace, it has to do with goodness, it has to do with love it have to do with being persecuted but it is also our cross that is unique in applying it and here i turn to the cover of our bulletin this is actually a famous reformation painting it's not framed like it appears In the bulletin, it's an an actual altar piece. It sits over an altar in Weimar, Germany, the region where Luther first started the Reformation in Rittenberg area. And it was painted by Lucas Cronach the Elder. Well, at least it was half painted by him. His son had to finish it because Lucas died. When it was first seen by some folks at church here, they thought that there was a red pen mark coming from Jesus off to the side, not really following the laws of gravity and ending up on the head of the guy in the middle between Martin Luther and John the Baptist. The guy in the middle with the gray beard is Lucas chronic the Elder. He put himself in the picture. He made that blood hit his forehead. Reminds me of anointing or baptism. Lucas chronic was all in on this good news, that God forgave him. And he was also all in on what it meant to take up your cross. Now I am identified with Christ as his baptized child, and I will now start making sacrifices for Christ. Later on, Cronach would do another painting of similar sorts talking about law and gospel, and there was this poor, naked, slave-looking guy, and the blood was coming off upon his heart. If the blood of Christ is personal, it touches you and changes you, and you start to make sacrifices. The last words of Jesus are somewhat intimidating and they speak to Pastor Foote. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Believe it or not, although I stand up here every Sunday, most Sundays, and preach the good news boldly and the law boldly, sometimes I am not so bold to speak the law or the gospel in places I know I should. Probably because the same reason that Peter would lie about his relationship with Jesus in the courtyard. I'll be different. I'll be pointed out, I may be persecuted with a scowl. What is your cross? Maybe it is that you trust your word more than God's word. Maybe it's that you're afraid to make a commitment to this church or some other church. Maybe it's that you too are afraid to speak the law or the gospel to a loved one or an enemy. Maybe you're afraid you'll suffer. Jesus says, get over it. The psalm today, Psalm 22, it's all about suffering in the first 22 verses. It's all about Jesus, including hands pierced, having his robes sold off, having people making fun of him. But you go home and you read that psalm again, you get the second half. You get the Easter story. You get the victory. Life conquers death. Deny yourself. Follow Jesus who gives us everything. Fear not. Amen. Now may the peace of God which stands guard over our heart keep us strong in Christ, forgiving us when we are weak and making us strong to deny ourselves. Amen.